this week on Worldview, two years after the Taliban took control of Kabul, is the international community and India simply engaging and enabling the regime, but abandoning the Afghan people? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. This week, we're looking at just where Afghanistan stands and where the rest of the world, including India, stand on Taliban rule two years to the date. While New Delhi supplies food and medical aid and has sent diplomats for a technical mission there, why is it so hard for India to issue visas for students, businesses, activists, and even Afghan spouses of Indian citizens? Those are some of the questions we're going to ask. We're also going to be speaking to former Afghanistan member of parliament and presidential contender, the first woman to do so, Fauzia Kufi, about her expectations from India and from the world. But first, two years ago, the scenes in Kabul were chaotic, as the days that followed the exit of Afghan president Ashraf Ghani and his cabinet and then the Taliban takeover of Kabul saw the pullout of US troops from Afghanistan. Suicide bombings at the airports, people crushed as they tried to scramble out on planes, men and women and children fleeing just any way they could. Two years later, Kabul looks calm but desolate. The most educated and wealthy Afghans have left the country. Starvation stalks many parts. Uh, of Afghanistan. International aid is drying up and by some estimates will be $1 billion less in 2023 than the previous year. The Taliban marked two years in power with this parade, uh, uh, more or less this, the same way it runs the country at present. A show of brute force, a flurry of Islamic emirate flags that have replaced uh, or at least tried to replace the Republic of Afghanistan's flags and no women in sight. So let's just break it down. What has changed in the past two years of Taliban rule for Afghanistan and for ordinary Afghans? One, there's certainly more stability in government because the Taliban that was previously the insurgent force around the country taking on government forces is in power now in most of the country, really other than the Panjshir province. Uh, second, for the same reason, terror attacks and deaths have decreased. Uh, by 75% and 58% respectively, according to one study, although deadly bombings by the Islamic State are still taking hundreds of lives, including most recently at a mosque. Um, the third, the economy remains in a tailspin, a 20.7% contraction that it began with. Uh, in 2021, severe drought, the number of people living in poverty has now increased from 19 million dollars, 19 million people in 2020, to uh, as much as 34 million in 2024. Uh, the figures are really scary. 15 and a half million Afghans go hungry to bed every night, or they're facing food insecurity, as it's called, while about 2.7 million are in danger of starvation. These are UN figures. Restrictions on women working have further depleted household incomes there. And then a ban on poppy cultivation, however you feel about it, that because this poppy is meant for opium and other drugs, has really meant a downturn in Afghan incomes as well. In these two years, what hasn't changed? So that's what has changed. What hasn't changed is the Taliban's broken promises, uh, especially the promises they made during the Doha Accord in 2020. And we'd spoken about all of these in previous editions of Worldview. Uh, the first big broken promise is the Taliban has had no talks 
for an inclusive government as it had promised. In fact, this week, the Taliban also banned all political parties, called them un-Islamic against the Sharia, indicating that it now plans to rule unchallenged for the foreseeable future. Second, the second broken promise, no change in its policy for women from uh, Taliban 1.0, if you like, from its previous rule in Afghanistan from 1996 to 2001, uh, and the increasing restrictions on women. New, new diktats keep coming out, which mean girls can't study uh, beyond the sixth grade in most places. Women can't work, in, except in some areas like health, education, and NGOs, and even those are restricted. Women can't go to parks, public places, gyms, beauty salons have been shut down, and those who protest are beaten and jailed. Uh, women have to have very restrictive clothing, cover their faces, wear a full burqa or chadar as well. And women are not allowed to travel most places without a male escort. When asked this week, uh, here's this Taliban official, he's the deputy prime minister of Afghanistan. He really peddled the same excuses the Taliban has given for the past two years on girls' education. This is Deputy Prime Minister Malvi Abdul Kabir speaking to Tolo News this week and pretty much saying we're not against education, but we're not allowing it either. د شریعت په چوکاټ کې کا زمونږه خویندی تعلیم کوي تحصیل کوي کار کوي منګه قطعا مخالف نیو دا چې وسپل حال تر شپږم سیم په پوره مکتبونه د جنکای پوړان باندې خلاص دی پورته بندی د هغه د پراهم د اسلامي مرت لخانه یو هیئت وظیفه پر لشوی دا هغوی ډیر مخکې ما ته معلومات په نصاب باندې کار کول دغه نصاب چې تکمیل شي نو دا نصاب کا منظور شو ان شاء الله د دوی په مخ باندې به هم the third big broken promise for the Taliban is that minorities continue to be unsafe within the country. Most, if not all, Hindus and Sikhs have already fled Afghanistan. India was a big part of that effort. Shia minorities, like the four million strong community of Hazaras, are constantly under threat, and not just from uh, governing groups, but from the IS, the Islamic State Khorasan terror group as well. Despite all this brutal repression and broken promises, taking Afghanistan by force, ending democracy, attempting to deface women, making them disappear from public life, even so the Taliban appears to be getting just what it wants. To begin with, it's got a kind of quasi-recognition. Now, uh, however you want to look at it, the world has not recognized the Taliban, the UN has not recognized the Taliban, the UN, in fact, has not recognized the Taliban ambassador, but even so, take a look at this. Taliban officials now engage most of the world, including India. Taliban ministers travel to various capitals, particularly Central Asia, Russia, China, Pakistan. And they also host delegations in Kabul from all these countries, also India's. Uh, about 15 countries, including India, now run missions in Kabul. Uh, although they don't call them embassies, they're called technical missions. Uh, even so, they're doing many of the same roles. Uh, humanitarian aid tranches continue to be delivered by various countries, including the US and UK. Um, and of course, much, much of this is going into the Taliban's coffers, but it's a catch-22, because if they don't provide those funds, more Afghans are likely to suffer. Third, as the world has refused to help out the Afghan opposition that lives within Afghanistan, help out exiles around the world, 
as well as the uh, National Resistance Forces, well, the NRF that has uh, more or less been a reincarnation of the Northern Alliance, Taliban faces virtually no challenge to its forcible control of Afghanistan. In all of this, in a very grim picture, where does India stand? One, India has given no recognition to the Taliban regime. At present, India does recognize only the previous regime's uh, ambassador in Delhi, for example. Uh, even so, the Taliban did try in April this year to foist its own ambassador, its own choice for ambassador, and it remains to be seen how that continues. Uh, will New Delhi, for example, ever allow a Taliban flag, the white flag uh, that they run, instead of the Afghanistan Republican flag or not? and what kind of representation it will allow in Delhi. Second, in Kabul, India has set up a technical mission. It looks at aid distribution. It looks at the maintenance of technical projects and liaising with the Taliban government. This is what the officials there do. India has also allowed flights between Delhi and Kabul now. There are quite regular flights that go, not very clear just who goes on them. Despite no recognition for the Taliban, India trains Taliban officials in online programs. There was a story that caused quite a lot of furor amongst those who have not been uh, given visa or any other largesse from the Indian government, but these Taliban officials are now part of it. A fourth, in partnership with the World Food Program, India has sent a total of 47,500 metric tons of wheat to Afghanistan by this week, uh, 200 tons of, medical med uh, of medicine and equipment, and clothes and blankets as well. And India does continue to speak at international fora, including the United Nations, about the needs of the Afghan people. So that's quite a lot of engagement with Afghanistan at present. So where is India perceived to have failed, particularly in the eyes of Afghans? The first big issue is clearly visas. Despite so many pleas from Afghans in need, the government has not lifted restrictions on giving visas to Afghan men and women. More than 60,000 Afghans, remember, had applied under what's called the miscellaneous ex-emergency visa that had been announced, but only a few hundred have been granted. And these, the, the people who have not been given visas, really include many categories. One is students, even those who have won Indian scholarships from the Indian government, uh, those who are midway in their degrees, not able to complete them because they're not getting visas to India. Professionals who want to complete their education and want to live in India, find a livelihood here. They are also being stopped. And remember, many of these are women who cannot work if they stay on in Afghanistan. Uh, there's also former Afghan security officials fearing for their lives or those who have assisted Indian security agencies uh, and India's embassy there in the past. And then there is the category of Afghans married to Indians um, who are entitled to visas and still don't get them. In one case we covered at the Hindu last week, even an Indian citizen stuck in Herat has been unable to get visas for her daughter and for her husband. And this is an Indian citizen, mind you. Another complaint is that in its statements, India doesn't actually highlight the condition of women and apart from a few statements, has not even referred to their problems. It talks about inclusivity and representation, but not as much about the specific issues on the restrictions of women. Uh, the third complaint that compared to the previous Taliban regime, India has not supported Afghans in exile on their political campaigns, nor does it support the NRF, uh, as it once did under the Northern Alliance under Ahmad Shah Massoud. Um, also, India does not provide a platform for Afghans to regroup. Compared to the past, uh, as I said, 96 to 2001, very few Afghan leaders have actually moved to India as a result. Mostly they've gone to UK, UAE, Turkey, 
Uh, but there isn't a place where India can provide a platform for all the Afghans who do live here as well. Joining me now is Fawzia Kufi, one of those politicians in exile I referred to, has been a member of parliament, stood for president during elections once, has survived assassination attempts by the Taliban as well. Um, and we do want to ask her what she hopes from uh, India. Uh, but first, Ms. Kufi, it's two years since you left the country in that sense of disarray. What is the difference? What are the big differences you see in, in Afghanistan today versus 2021? Well, the difference I see is um, uh, from the world's perspective, um, I think, um, you know, for reasons that the Ukraine war happened, uh, also for political reasons, the, the image the world tried to portray for themselves is that, you know, it's a normal situation now, people have accepted it, as long as we provide humanitarian aid, and as long as you know, there is a, some level of security in Afghanistan, the rest is not our problem. Um, inside Afghanistan, despite the fact that uh, people have uh, stalled, um, you know, there were many civilian protests, the women still continue to um, resist um, the suppressive measures by Taliban. Um, we see that, uh, you know, people have also been very disappointed because they see no result out of all of the efforts for two years. Um, on the other hand, the poverty level is to the to the extent that people actually eventually are, you know, um, brought to a position where they only think about their uh, uh, feeding their children. Obviously, when you have to choose between, uh, you know, feeding your children and your rights, uh, you want immediate support for your children. As a mother, I can understand that. Um, and, and that's why they are they don't have that liberty anymore to think long term and see you know, um, without changing the politics, things will not change. So it's a it's a, um, a blurred picture. It's very, uh, you know, disappointing. Um, we have also tried at the international level to keep the world's attention. Um, sometimes we also get disappointed because, uh, you know, after all these engagement, um, speaking to the UN, speaking to the EU, speaking to the policymakers, also in the region, we see that there is uh, that um, kind of sense of ignorance, like it's okay, you have to deal with it. Afghanistan has always been like that, which is not true, actually. The one thing that is clear that Afghanistan has transformed and two years of Taliban rule demonstrate that the people will not accept whatever, you know, the ruler uh, tried to impose to them. Uh, now, the worst impact has probably been felt by women who stayed behind in Afghanistan. The kind of restrictions we're seeing on them means that, you know, as journalists, we don't actually get to uh, hear from them uh, as much. Uh, it's difficult to speak to them. When you speak, because I know you've been in touch with so many women's groups back home, when you speak, what is it uh, that, uh, that, that they are saying that really hurts the most? Yeah, you know, Swasini, in terms of my contacts, practically not only me, I think most women and men who left Afghanistan or who were forced to leave their home, um, uh, they literally live physically abroad, I think. At least I do. Otherwise, most of our timing, contacts, you know, what we do is still concentrated on Afghanistan. Um, but we try, I try to keep, you know, my consultations on weekly basis with women, but also on daily basis with people across Afghanistan. Yes, you're right. M many of those who actually could speak English um, to express what they feel or what they undergo, they have left Afghanistan. Those who are there, either they don't speak English or they are, you know, not allowed by their family members or they are scared to share their stories with journalists and with media. 
And so what you hear is basically those who actually protest in the streets or arrested by Taliban. And then that's when you hear about it. Otherwise, the regular stories of suffering um, is uh, not something that gets to the media. I talk to them. It's, um, you know, basically they, they have no liberty left for them. Um, you know, from education to work that was actually banned many, many months ago when Taliban first came. Literally, eventually they tried to, uh, to impose restrictions uh, every month. They have issued more than 50 edicts now. Um, the last one was um, uh, banning uh, women from um, having a, a beauty saloon, which for me, beauty salons were not a place where you could get make yourself beautiful, which every woman deserved that, um, because for, uh, for your mental health, it's important. But also it was a place where women could go socially, mm -hmm. get together and talk about issues that they want to, you know, beside politics or the suppression. Um, they have um, uh, abolished the Department of Kindergartens. So there was a Department of Kindergarten at the Ministry of Labor and Social Affairs. Um, there were teachers. They were like they 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 were providing services for uh, working parents uh, to keep take care of their children. They have abolished that because their their perception is that why would actually a woman uh, that's the woman's responsibility in every family to take care of their children. And they shouldn't actually let their children go to kindergarten because that is what they are supposed to do. So basically, they limit the role of women to kitchen, home, taking care of the children, which traditionally is something that women of Afghanistan, I think women across the, the globe are doing multitasking, right? We While we do actually take care of our career and the, the important work we do, we also take care of our kitchen and our children. But when, when that is imposed by a government or a de facto power, because they want to undermine your ability, that degrade that degrades your you know um, your um, uh, your sense of being. I think your um, dignity, um, the, and then the, the sense of being controlled. So when they women go out, they tell me that the Taliban ask them, um, "I need to see your phone. What is in your phone?" Um, so usually, they, if they have a mobile phone with a camera or with you know WhatsApp or internet connection, they leave it at home. They don't take it when they leave home. And then they tell them, you're not allowed to go to university or school, why are you out? So that feeling is not really a good feeling. If you were asked, what are the top three, what are the top five expectations you have from India? What would those be? And broadly from the international community as well. We, for, for very long, and in, even until now, we still see Indian people as our best uh, friends, probably. Um, we are being hugely influenced by uh, Indian culture. Um, you know, when uh, uh, at least um, not very long ago, there were like three, four flights per day between Delhi, Kabul, you know, we uh, historic ties, etc. And all of that actually raised our expectation. It's our expectation that India will be, you know, still one of the countries that we can rely and trust. However, I think their performance over the last two years has not really been to the expectation of anybody from Afghanistan. Um, they have uh, not really granted any kind of um, evacuation support to those who closely work with them, to those who need, uh, to the family members of those who need it, except I think few second Hindu families um, that really needed that support. And it's, a, it's, a, it's something we appreciate, but otherwise in terms of evacuation, there was no. So we hope that India will continue to provide visa for people who want to visit India, not only from inside Afghanistan, but from outside Afghanistan as well, because we want to keep that cultural tie. 
In terms of um, uh, the political, I think India should continue to stay engaged with all sides. I know there is a technical mission in Kabul, but has India really been engaged with political opposition? Has India really been engaged with women groups? Um, I mean, as the biggest democracy in the world, we expect India to give the same space and the same level of engagement that they do with Taliban, with the rest of political um, community. It has not actually done that. And, you know, as somebody who believe in pluralism and democracy, they should give that space. And also, I think India, I don't know what is their strategy towards Afghanistan beyond humanitarian aid. While we do appreciate the humanitarian aid, but what is their political strategy? What kind of uh, you know future they want to see in Afghanistan? Um, are they really putting any efforts towards that future with uh, you know the, the people of Afghanistan? Those are the expectations from the, the Indian government. We are forever grateful of the Indian people for their kindness, but I think this these were like difficult times where we needed their solidarity and support more than ever. Fozia Kufi there, and we do hope she will be able to come to India at some point, uh, and we'll try and speak to her again there. So what's worldview's take? Given global turmoil, the economic downturn in the world, the war in Ukraine, there's no surprise that there is global fatigue over helping Afghanistan. Even so, the international community cannot just lose interest and shirk its responsibility for the injustices the Taliban carries out now as a result of that. If it continues to claim its values and commitment to international law and human rights, then it must have an interest. For India, the visa denials will be a blot on its record of helping neighbors in need for some time to come. These are not refugees, remember, but Afghans who have a legitimate reason to be in India, which at present they are being denied. So let's get you some worldview reading recommendations. And this time I'm trying to stick to books that have come out after the Taliban took over. So post 2021, uh, except for this one, which is an exception, is the book written by Fozia Kufi herself. It's called The Favored Daughter, One Woman's Fight to Lead Afghanistan into the Future. It's a great book to read. Uh, that's from 2012. There's also a book, an earlier book called Letters to My Daughters. Uh, which is also uh, a real must-read to see what Afghanistan was like under the Taliban the last time. Uh, the second book, just out now, called The Return of the Taliban, Afghanistan After the Americans Left. This is by journalist Hassan Abbas. Very well worth reading. It's brand new. Uh, this is a, a, a report, actually, and you can either get it online at the link uh, that you'll find on the Hindus' website, or you could actually uh, uh, order it of one of these uh, book services like Amazon. Uh, it's called Special Inspector General for Afghanistan's Reconstruction. His final report, so this is a, a, a post called SIGAR. It's a final report on why the Afghan security forces collapsed. Uh, it came out in February 2023, and it really is worth reading uh, for all that it shows. Uh, next, there is a book called The Afghanistan Papers, A Secret History of the War by Craig Whitlock. Uh, which is actually uh, the Washington Post goes into the archives and looks at how the U.S. really went about the war. Another book called Negotiating Survival, Civilian Insurgent Relations in Afghanistan. This is a book by Ashley Jackson. It actually predates the Taliban takeover, but it looks at how in various situations people were already dealing and engaging with the Taliban. A book by a journalist called August in Kabul, America's Last Days in Afghanistan by Andrew Quilty. Uh, another book by a former Indian diplomat, which is really worth reading. It has one chapter on Afghanistan, but a very important one called Wartime, The World in Danger by Rajiv Dogra, uh, who had also earlier written Duran's 
uh, curse a line across the Pathan heart about the Afghan-Pakistan problems. Uh, then there's a book called The Gardener of Lashkar Gah, The Afghans Who Risked Everything to Fight the Taliban. This is by Larissa Brown. It looks at the lives of interpreters in particular in Afghanistan, who were many of whom were abandoned. Uh, a book that says it all, Why the World Should Not Abandon Afghan Women. This is by Greg Wilson. Uh, and another book out recently, uh, but I think I've spoken about it before, called The Long War, The Inside Story of America and Afghanistan Since 9-11. This is also by, by a journalist called David Loyne. Uh, so we hope you find these books enriching and do join us again. If you're watching us on YouTube, do subscribe to the Hindus YouTube channel from the team here. Thanks for watching.